Welcome to Life Source Church. We are so glad you found us. We hope that you will experience God with us as you hear the preaching of the Word. Amazing thing in that song which says that God has made an end to all our sin, isn't it? He's made an end to it. Doesn't mean we don't sin anymore. But with respect to the eternal penalty for that sin, once we trust Christ as Savior, we will never, ever face that again. What an amazing thing. Well, when I was a kid, um, I mean, I think it seems like this, this weather makes me think holiday season, Thanksgiving, Christmas. When I was a kid, one of my favorite things to do when we would go to my grandmother's house, my grandmother had eight children, and my mom was the seventh of eight. And there were a lot of kids around, but adults. But to be honest with you, one of my favorite things to do was to sit and listen to the adults talk. Because they would have conversations. The, the eight of them would get together and they, um, well, how do I want to say this? They had opinions. <laughs> <laughs> and they talked. I mean, I love playing with the kids, too, but this is just something special to sit down and listen in on the, the adults having their conversations. They would talk about politics. It was always interesting. They'd talk about religion. They would talk about family stuff, work. Um, and I really learned a lot listening. And I can't point out anything to you today specifically that I learned, but the fact of the matter is it did shape who I am. Uh, I still, to this day, I love to sit around and have conversations. If, if, if you end up at my house for some reason, there's a high likelihood if we sit there and eat it, then we'll sit around the dining room table and talk and talk and talk until my wife can finally say, you know, maybe we should go in the other room, sit. But I, I like to do that. And the reason I, I like the conversations in, in many ways is because uh, it's in private conversations with people. Not necessarily mean just one-on-one, could be one-on-one, but in personal conversations with people people are often are freer to interact. They're more likely to talk to you about something that matters. And as, as time goes by and you're, you're discussing, you, you start to realize that you learn things about people that you never would have known. You learn what's going on in their heart, what they're concerned about, what they're excited about. And what you do is you begin to see into them and understand them better. And in the process, lots of times I've had these discussions with people, I end up all of a sudden learning something about myself even. You know, as we talk and, and, and have those things. And so, uh, these conversations are extremely valuable. Like I said, you learn things that you'd never otherwise know, which makes me think, wouldn't it be awesome to be able to go back in history and sit down and have conversations with somebody? Historical figures? I was just thinking of Abraham Lincoln. You know, we, we know what made the history books, right? We know his public things that he said and did. We've, we've heard all those kinds of things. Um, but wouldn't it be interesting to be able to sit down and talk to him about what was going on? What was he thinking? What was he dreaming about? What was he afraid of and concerned about? Man, we could learn some really cool things, couldn't we? And so you can think there's a lot of people in history like that, aren't there? But I think the reality is there's probably no more important person in history that we could have a conversation with than the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, because he has changed so much in our world. You think about the, the, what our world is like, especially here in our Western culture. You know, what we think is right and wrong with how we interact with each other 
You know what I'm talking about? This whole idea, even like the golden rule that we treat others the way we would like to be treated. The idea of respect and that individuals are, have worth to them. You know, we have uh, embedded this even in our, our constitution with this idea of valuing the individual so that even if a person is guilty of a terrible crime, they still have rights. Why? Because they're a fellow human being. That's the kind of thing that Jesus taught. And so he has shaped so much. Now the problem is we can't do that, can we? We can't go back and have that conversation with him. We understand that he doesn't, he isn't here physically today for us to do that. Now thankfully, uh, in the Bible, we have a lot of his conversations recorded. And in those conversations, we, we learn many things about Jesus, about ourselves in these conversations. And so uh, beginning today and for the next several weeks, we're going to be uh, having a sermon series, uh, no surprise, entitled Conversations with Jesus. And in this, those sermons, we're going to see, you know, what, what did Jesus think was important? How did he feel about certain things? What did he say about us, people in general? All the things that are really, really important to us. Now, the um, primary source that we're going to use for this sermon series is uh, writings from a man named John. Now, John was one of the 12 apostles. You've probably heard that term, one of the 12 apostles. What that means is that John, he was a young man when he, he met Jesus, and for almost three years, John just wherever Jesus went, John went. And, and so he, he saw the things that Jesus did. He heard the things that Jesus said, and he got to listen in on the conversations that he had, maybe even participated in some of those conversations. All right? And so John wrote these things down. And John wrote a lot of things down, but he, he says something. He said he had an agenda. Sometimes that's a bad word for us, agenda. Someone has an agenda. I don't mean it that way. What I mean is he was very purposeful in his choice of what he wrote down. He says this, he says, he said, there's a lot of things I could have written, he says, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. And by Christ, he's talking about the, that's the, our English word for the Hebrew word Messiah. In other words, Jesus is the one who was promised to come and to die for our sins. He's the Messiah. He is the Christ, that you may believe that he is the Christ, the son of the living God, that he's actually, as the Bible says, God in the flesh. God became a man, which Christmas is coming, right? And that's really underneath that, uh, that whole celebration is the fact that God himself became a man born as the man Jesus. That you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that believing you may have life through his name, in his name. And so his name is the idea of who he is, everything about him, that, that coming to know him, we have life, his life, here and now, and when this life ends, we go on living with him. So John says, these are the things that I chose to write so that you would know these things, okay? And be able to experience them in your life. So at this point, let's uh, uh, jump into our first conversation. But before we do, let's, let's pray. Let's ask the Lord to help us to understand his word here. Father, we do come before you asking for your working here in our lives. Dear Lord Jesus, I pray that we'll understand the point of your conversation that we look at here today. And that even though you aren't here to pray, be present with us in, in a literal, physical sense, Father, dear Lord Jesus, that as we 
I consider your conversation that we might even just participate in that conversation ourselves with you. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're going to be in the Gospel of John today, John chapter 3. Uh, we'd encourage you to follow along with this if you can. The verses are going to be on the screen up here today. Uh, we don't usually do that. Uh, but if you'd like to follow along, there's a Bible in the pew, and we're going to be on page 1222, page 1222, or like I said, you can follow along on the screen up here today. John chapter 3, starting in verse number 1, says, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Now, uh, Nicodemus uh, was a very, very religious man, and we know that because it says that he was a Pharisee. And a Pharisee, I mean, there were different, uh, you know how in the United States and in the world for that matter, there's different kinds of Christianity, right? Well, there were different kinds of Judaism in Israel at this time. And one of those were the Pharisees. And the Pharisees took uh, all the things that God had said in the Bible very, very, very seriously, especially the rules. They liked the rules, okay? And so they, they really, they taught about and thought about and, and told people all about the rules that God has. And they were so concerned about these rules that they made rules about keeping the rules. You ever know anybody like that? Sometimes we kind of try to stay away from those people, don't we? And sometimes they'd make rules about the rules for keeping the rules. But the, the, the reason they did this, the ones who were sincere, is because they really believed that God mattered. And, and we need to do what God wants us to do. And we need to make sure we're trying to do it the way God wants us to do it. So Nicodemus, a very, very religious man, believed in God and was very serious about that. It also says here he was a ruler of the Jews. And what this means is he was on the council, the ruling council, the ones who would make decisions about policies in, in Jerusalem and in Judea, and probably for all Israel, ultimately, as it would trickle its way out there. They're the ones who had to interact with the Roman government who was in control of Israel at the time. So he was a powerful man, a well-known man. I'm sure if Nicodemus showed up places, people knew who he was. Very serious religious man, religious about God, and very serious about his relationship with God, and then very well-known and powerful. So it says here, it continues, it says, this man, Nicodemus, came to Jesus by night and said, it's interesting he came by night. And I can't help but think that Nicodemus is here. Let me, let me just tell you that at this point in time, the jury was still out on Jesus. As far as the, the, the religious people in that day, the jury was out on him. Who is this guy? Is he really from God? Is he not from God? Should we be listening to him? Should we be opposing him? We don't know how to respond to this man. We aren't sure about that. And so Nicodemus says, I'm going to go have a personal conversation with him. Not a public confrontation with him, but I'm going to go have a personal conversation with him. And so he comes by night. If he showed up in the daytime, everybody would recognize him, and then it becomes a big public thing, and so he chose not to do that. So it says, This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, which is the term that Jewish people use for their teachers, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And so Nicodemus here is puzzled. 
And the reason he's puzzled is because he is such a religious man, so serious about trying to follow all the rules, uh, taking this, you know, like I said, very, very serious, very important to him. And yet he's hearing Jesus, who's really challenging a lot of what he would believe and teach. Because Jesus kept goofing things up for them because he kept saying, you know what? Yeah, the rules have their place, but it's not about the rules. It's about a relationship with God. It's about knowing God personally. And so Jesus was teaching this, and, and, and so Nicodemus is saying, you know, I don't know how this all fits because we got all these, these rules and things that we know we need to do and keep, but Jesus is talking about something else. But he has to be from God because no one could do these miracles that he does if he wasn't from God. No one could say the things that he does and have the understanding that he has if he wasn't from God. And so Nicodemus comes, and I think, in a very praiseworthy way, comes to Jesus with a personal conversation and says, and I'm reading between the lines here, but, but Jesus, look, I, I don't quite know what to make of you. I think you have to be from God because of what you're doing, but he isn't sure. Well, Jesus responds here. Jesus answered and said to him, most assuredly, he's being emphatic here, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God, unless one is born again. Uh, so, there's not much wiggle room there, is there? If you're not born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. Now, before we go any farther, just let, me, let me just jump in this mess here. Um, how many of you have ever heard the term born again used as a derogatory term? Or maybe you've used it yourself as a derogatory term. Right? Oh no, those born agains. Oh. Well, sometimes I've felt the same way about some of those people. Okay? But Jesus is using the term in a very, very real, practical way, which we'll see before we're done here. And this is where that term originally comes from. He says, but if you aren't born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is the idea of all that stuff that's under God's control. You can't be a part of his kingdom. It includes things in this life, but it also includes when this life is over. His kingdom in heaven. You can't even see heaven if you aren't born again. Jesus is saying, if, if, if you aren't born again, there's no forgiveness of sins. If you aren't born again, there is no eternal life. If you aren't born again, there's no all the blessings of God that he wants to bring into your life. It, it isn't there. You have to be born again. And this term born again really carries another meaning with it. It's not just again. It also it communicates the idea from above. That there has to be a birth from above into our lives, being born again. So the first, th th there's a truth that we're gonna wanna see in this conversation that Jesus is having with his people, and that's this, that a relationship with God requires a spiritual birth. It is a requirement. It is not an optional. It's not a, hey, if you'd like to, if you want to have a relationship with God, you must have a spiritual birth. You can be as religious as you want to be. You can go to church every day. 
You can try to follow all the rules. You can do all the religious rituals. You can do lots of good works, help lots of people. None of that will give you a relationship with God. That's what Jesus just said, right? Unless one is born again, nothing. There is no relationship. So, Nicodemus here, in verse number four. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Now, I don't, you know, Nicodemus was a smart man. He wasn't thinking, you know, can I really go back in mom's womb? How? He's trying to say, what are you talking about? Jesus, I don't understand. How can we be born again? We've already been born. How do we be born again? It's a logical question. Fair question. All right. So Jesus continues his conversation with him. It says, Jesus answered, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. There's that cannot again, right? It's not open. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Well, let's see if we can come to grips with what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is now explaining why this has to be. And he's also telling him what kind of a birth it is. It's a spiritual birth. And so he says, you have to be born of water and the spirit. Now, what's that about? What's the whole water thing about? Well, when I remember, I remember the birth of my second child, my daughter Jessica, uh, the first child, my son Joshua, took 24 hours to be born. Just took a long time. And my daughter, we had moved here while my wife was expecting our, our second one. And we were living downtown Worcester at the time. And uh, she starts in labor early in the morning. Eh, got plenty of time, right? And so, uh, and all of a sudden, she lays, she said, I think we ought to be thinking about going. <laughs> and so we had to take our other son across town, clear over onto Route 20, down close to Chuck E. Cheese's. You know where that is? Yeah. Had to take it. So I was up over Vernon Hill, all this place, down there. And things are starting to get really kind of exciting in the car. <laughs> we're coming back up, coming back over the hill, up there over Vernon Hill. St. V's was still there. We weren't going to St. V's. We are going to uh, uh, Memorial Hospital. Coming back up over the hill, and it's, this is at 8 o'clock in the morning. Traffic is backed up, you know, from the top of the hill all the way down to 290. And I pull up here, and all of a sudden, boom, she says, my water just broke. This is happening fast, isn't it? So I did, I, what I did is I pulled out and straddled the middle line and drove all the way down the hill. And got on 290. I did, man. I wasn't staying in that car. And we made it down there, and I pulled up, and we, I, I whipped in front of the, you know, the entrance to the emergency room and jumped out of my car, and the, the, uh, the, you know, the guard said, you can't park there. I go, hi. <laughs> uh, took her in and, and got her in there and got her in, and they took her in, and, and I, I did move the car, and I ran back in, and there, suit back the day we had to suit up. Uh, you know, the mask and the gown, I'm watching through the door. She's getting ready, and I run in there, and they say, push. And they, Jessica was born. But there was an event in that story that is enlightening for us in this story with uh, Jesus telling. Her water broke. See, the baby's contained in a, a, a sack filled with amniotic fluid. And, and it's a very normal thing. We know that the water almost always breaks before the baby's born. 
And so when Jesus is talking here about being born of the water and of the Spirit, he's talking about a physical birth. And in the very next verse there, he makes this pretty clear to us because he says, you have to be born of the water and of the Spirit because that which is flesh is flesh and that which is Spirit is Spirit. So he says, yeah, one birth is not enough. Being born into this world as human being is not enough. And here's why. Because the reality in this world is that it is a sin-cursed world. Sin has impacted our world in very, very negative ways. And, you know, don't try to put some big image of what sin is in your mind. Just, let's just talk our way through this. And what we find is that every one of us human beings, every one of us, when we are born, we have a selfish nature. Right? From the time we're born, we, we naturally think that life is about me. Okay? Didn't you agree life is about me, Walt? Don't you agree? <laughs> no, you didn't agree either, right? Life was about you. And, and babies are innocent because they don't know, they don't understand, right? But aren't babies often pretty demanding? They want what they want when they want it. And as they get older and can finally stand up in their crib and hold on to the side, you can be in any other part of the house and you can hear them rattling, yelling, where are my servants? Where are they? And then we get older, obviously, and then we start to understand the difference between right and wrong. We start to understand that being selfish and that all being about me is not right but we go ahead and do it anyway. We go ahead and make choices that I'm going to get what I want, whether it's right or not. That's what the Bible calls sin. When we choose to do what we want instead of what's right, or when we choose not to do what we know is right, because we, we, you know, it's sin. That's what the Bible means when it's talking about sin. All right, so every one of us is born. So born of the flesh, uh, the physical birth, that's where we are. And, and, and the reality is, what this means is that we are spiritually dead. Deep down inside of us, there's the human spirit. We have spirit, but it's dead to God. It's not alive. It's dead to him. And, and we prove it almost every day because of how we choose to live. And if we, if we live our lives dead to God, live our lives still with self at the center, self being the most important, but particularly the idea of being dead to God, if we die in that condition, we are still dead to God, and separated from Him. I mean, the Bible is really clear. Listen, and I'm just going to use two of commandments today. The Ten Commandments we could talk about, you know, very, very simple and straightforward. But I, Jesus boiled it down to two. He says you're supposed to love God with your whole being, and you're supposed to love your neighbor as yourself. Well, let me ask you, have you always loved God with your whole being? Has he always come first in your life? Have you, you made your life decisions based on what you really believe God wants, and that's, that's how you live your whole life? No, none of us have, have we? Hopefully we can grow and learn and do better, but none of us have. We've all blown that. How about loving your neighbor as yourself? That means you care, make sure that these other people in your life, that they're every bit as important as you. Have you always lived that way? No way, have we? I haven't. I still struggle to live that way. Anybody else like me? You know, I kind of, you know, yeah, I love my neighbors myself as long as it's convenient. 
as long as I like it. But see, that's not right. That, that proves it. So there's this selfishness, this sinfulness, this uh, spiritual deadness. And if, if we die in that condition, and so, you know, before God, we haven't put him first in our lives, and we haven't really put people, given people the proper role in our lives. We should, all these kind of things. We are guilty. We will stand guilty before God. We've, we've broken his commandments. And as we're guilty, and then God's going to give the sentence. Is it going to be heaven, or is it going to be hell based on our guilt? Based on our guilt, it has to be hell, doesn't it? And so hell is this separation from God forever. It's that spirit. That spiritual deadness that we have in our lives just continues on out into eternity. What a shame. And this is why Jesus says, no, look, this is not sufficient. Because of the problem that's there, deep down on the inside, you need a spiritual birth. You need another birth. You need something that's going to happen deep down inside of you. And so as we look at this truth again, you know, a spiritual, a relationship with God requires a spiritual birth. A spiritual birth. And, and we get this birth by being born again. That's what it's talking about. We were born physically, now we're going to be born again spiritually. This happens when we receive Christ as Savior. When we acknowledge the fact that we have sinned against God. That we've done our own thing. And we acknowledge that we're spiritual dead and we need His life. And then we come to him in trust, and we're going to talk more about that in a little bit. But once that happens, all of a sudden, there's a spiritual birth. And deep down inside of us, there's a new life that wasn't there before. He's changing everything down inside, and it slowly begins to work its way out into our lives, changing lots of things. Now, does someone become perfect when they are born again? You guys are looking at me like, I don't know. No, nobody does. Listen, this whole thing we talked about, self and sin and dead, it has so messed us up. It's, it's, it's so deeply rooted in our soul and our being that, yeah, we get born again this new life comes. That doesn't all go away. It takes time. We have to work on it and grow, and hopefully we get better. But we're going to be working on it the rest of our lives. It isn't about being perfect. Jesus was the perfect one who died paying the penalty for our sins. But we get born again and we get new life. Our sins get forgiven and we get his life in us when we are born again. So a relationship with God requires a spiritual birth. So let's continue here. In verse number seven, Jesus says, do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. So he says, because of all that I've just described, don't be surprised that you've got to be born again because this isn't going to cut it. Don't be surprised. Then he says this, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from, where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. And, and so Jesus here is one more time affirming, look, it's nothing you can do. There's nothing physical you can do. It's not about going to church more. It's not about getting baptized. It's not about giving away your money. It's not about doing good deeds to people. It's not about any of that. Because it's a spiritual birth. It is a birth from above. It's spiritual. It's deep down inside. And just like you can't see the wind, but you can see its results in its life, so you look at someone, it's a spiritual birth deep down inside. You can't see it from the outside, but it does start to change what happens because it's there. 
Well, Nicodemus, verse number nine, Nicodemus answered and said to him, how can these things be? Fair question. Okay. All right, Jesus, I hear you, but how? How? Well, Jesus continues his conversation with him, and just a little bit later, he says this. He says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So Jesus says, here's how. Yeah, humanity's a mess. Humanity is separated from me because of how they've chosen to live. Their very nature is separated from me and dead to me. And the reality is, if, if, not, if nothing changes, they're going to hell. But God loved us. He loved every one of us. He knew about us before we ever even came into existence. He loved us so much, the Bible says, Jesus says, that he sent Jesus into the world. He sent the Son of God into the world to live a sinless and perfect life because he was God. He didn't have that problem that we have. He lived a perfect, sinless life. And then on the cross, he took the penalty for our sins because he had no sins of his own. And as he hung on the cross, he let them crucify him. He hangs on the cross. The Bible tells us that God the Father took all of our sins Every sin that I have ever committed or ever will commit, he took and he put those on Jesus. Every sin that you have ever committed or ever will commit, he took those sins and put them on Jesus. Jesus died there paying the penalty for our sins so that we wouldn't have to if we have that spiritual birth. Three days later, Jesus rises from the dead. And now we can be saved because of it. We can be forgiven and receive his life because of it. And see, so often, you know, Christianity is viewed as a condemning thing, and it's really, really not. And by the way, do you know that the rules, and the Bible does have rules, if we want to call them that. It says here's things that are right, here's things that are wrong, here's the way we ought to do some things, here's some ways we ought not to do some things. Do you know that really those rules ultimately are for our well-being? And the rules really are only for those who have been spiritually born, who are now part of the family. But he, he cares about us so much. But the idea is he didn't come to condemn us. Isn't that good news? He did not come to condemn us. He came that we might be saved because he knows we're a mess. And if we're honest, we know it. We can make it look real nice on the outside, can't we? I dress up okay, you know. But on the inside. In verse number 18, it says this. He who believes in him is not condemned. This is a person who's been spiritually born. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God, haven't believed and placed faith in Jesus. And so here's the thing. You don't have to do anything here today to be condemned. If you haven't received Christ as Savior, if you haven't been born again, you're already that way. That's the way you were born, see? 
That's the way I was born. But there's something that needs to happen so that you aren't condemned anymore. So that as we sang, he made an end to all my sin can be your song. And for me, this happened on April 4th, 1975. I remember it very clearly. I kind of grew up in church and around it, and I was in and out. I'm 19 years old, first year of college, and I, and I, I started dating a girl that was going to church, so I go to church, and I'm listening, and I'm hearing all this stuff. The things I'm talking to you about today. And I'm trying to be a good Christian. I'm trying to live like I'm supposed to live. I'm trying to do all this kind of stuff. And finally, it just became very clear that I needed a new birth. I couldn't do it because this is the way I was. I needed that spiritual birth. And so Friday night, about 9.30 at night, I, I said, God, okay, God, I know I'm not saved. I know that my sins have separated me from you, and I, I believe Jesus died for my sins, rose again. I received Christ as Savior, and I was born again. Born again. Forgiveness of sin, every sin I ever had or ever would commit. The life of God coming into me and beginning to work and help me to change in good ways. And, and then when this life is over, I get to be with him forever. Eternal life. And so we see this, that, that a relationship with God requires a spiritual birth. It's about a relationship with God. When you are born into the world, do you, have, do you automatically get a relationship with your, your parents at some level? I mean, there's a relationship there, but our messed up world, those get goofed up. But we understand we get a relationship. Well, guess what? When you're born again, you get a relationship with God and all that goes with it. Well, John talks about how we do this just a little bit earlier in his writings. Some of his introductory remarks. And hang in there with me. We're close to being done here. He says this, but as many as received him, received Jesus, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. In other words, it is a spiritual birth. And when we are spiritually born, we become children of God with all the benefits that go along with that. We receive him as Savior by believing, the Bible says. Now, when the Bible talks about believing or talks about putting your faith in something, there's really two ideas that cooperate in this. And the first one is knowing. Okay, so you have to know something. You have to know something is true. But then, knowing is not enough. You have to choose to trust it. Trust it and those two come together, and that's what the Bible means. It's talking about believing in him, or faith, knowing and trusting. Uh, years ago, before uh, all of the, you know, the government got involved of regulating everything out of existence, uh, every risk out of existence, uh, there used to be a man, his name was Blondin, and he would set up a, a tightrope wire across the river there just below Niagara Falls, and he would do his show. And he would go back and forth, walking across that, amazing the crowds. And then he would take a wheelbarrow up there and push the wheelbarrow across, back and forth across that. Right? And then they would put bags of sand in that, and he would go back and forth across that, and the crowds, wow. And he yelled down, who believes that I could push a person across here? 
Oh, we believe that. We, we see, we believe it. All right, who would like to come up and get in the wheelbarrow? Now, he did have someone who would go across in the wheelbarrow with him, someone who worked for him. But I would tell you that this is the two ideas. How many of you believe that I can do this? Oh, we know you can. We've seen it. Who's willing to trust what you know? And so it is with God. I mean, I don't know about you. I would never get in the wheelbarrow with that guy. <laughs> Not going to happen. But I, on April 4th, 1975, I did get in God's wheelbarrow. I said, you know what? I'm trusting you. I know that I'm a sinner. I know that you died for my sins. I know that you rose again from the dead. And I'm going to personally choose to trust that. Trust you for forgiveness of my sins and eternal life. Jesus said there in John chapter 3, in verse 3, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You can be born again here today if you haven't been. And I don't care if you've been attending church here for 30 years. It's possible you're here and never been born again. This might be the first time you've ever heard this. You can be born again. So let's just all bow our heads at this time. Close our eyes. Nothing weird is going to happen. I just don't want everybody looking around here. I want you just thinking about this for yourself. Where are you at today? Have you ever once and for all placed your trust in Jesus as Savior for forgiveness of sins and eternal life? Has this, this spiritual birth ever happened for you? And if it hasn't, would you like for it to? In just a moment, I'm going to lead you in a silent prayer. I mean, God, I'll speak out loud, but you can talk to God silently in your heart and mind. He knows what you're thinking. But I'm going to lead you in a prayer where you can make that decision to once and for all put your faith in Jesus as Savior. So if that's where you're at today, you say, yes, I, I do see the problem. Yes, I do want forgiveness in life. If that's you, then right now, silently in your heart, pray along. Say something to God like this. Say, God, I know that I have sinned. I know that I'm spiritually dead. And I don't want to die that way and pay the penalty of sin forever. God, I believe that you sent your son into the world. I believe that he died for my sins and rose again from the dead. And right now, the best I know how, I am choosing to trust Jesus as my Savior. I am choosing to accept his payment for my sins. I am opening myself up to you for that spiritual birth, being born again. Amen. Still keep our heads bowed, eyes closed, please. No one looking around. I really want to encourage you to act on that decision that you just made, uh, that prayer that you just prayed, and I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that. Once again, with nobody looking around in just a minute, I'm going to ask you, if you prayed with me, just to raise your hand, because I'd like to, to see you and also be able to pray for you. So if you're here today, 
And, and here you are for the first time. You said, you know what? I have received Christ as Savior. I prayed with you. I meant it in my heart. If that's you, with nobody looking around but me, would you just raise your hand right now? Raise your hand with me. Say, yes, I prayed with you. Yes, I see those. Yes, I see those. Others? Yes, I see those. Yes, thank you everywhere. Thank you, Father. Thank you so much for these people who have been born again here today based on what you say in your word that you have now uh, forgiven them. You come into them and given them your new life. They've been forgiven for every sin. Uh, you're going to work on them from the inside out, help them to grow and become the kind of Christian you want them to be. And when this life is over, they'll be in heaven with you, Father. Thank you for that. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.